0: everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up The Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Oh, I'm doing okay. I've uh, been a little bit annoyed lately because I've been hearing a lot of people using words like Kafkaesque and Orwellian, mostly incorrectly, to describe our current situation right now. And I get it, those are fun words and good authors. But is it too much to ask for just one person to be crushed by a giant helmet so that I can start describing our current timeline as Walpolean? Because that's just a word I never get to use. Well, now that you're all warmed up with my topical Castle of Otranto humor? For lack of a better word, we can call it that. Let's get on with the rest of the show. Maybe next week, I'll work in some handful of dust references for all my Evelyn Wombats out there. That's what hardcore Evelyn Waugh fans call themselves, right? Evelyn Wombats? Or is that term specifically reserved for people who enjoy Brideshead Revisited, but also enjoy defending their burrows with their muscular buttocks. I forget. Anyway, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis poem is submitted by Jeff O. It is an alliterative rather than rhyming poem, which Jeff claims is inspired by his reading of J.R.R. Tolkien's translation of the Norse epic Sigurd and Gundren, but I suspect is inspired by his interest in making me self-conscious about my sibilant S's. Anyway, here goes. Solemnly still does hub soliloquize some several store installments since starting this essay. To set straight our insensible selves, see him staid yet unsluggish, as sprightly with no seeming of sense in essence, this stalwart soldier of serial springs straight away to simplify, and so, by odds and sods, see our percipient slightly swell with each synopsis. Thanks, Jeff! And just a heads up before we get into the synopsis. I just wanted to give listeners a warning that the story that we cover and our discussion about it does feature a scene of domestic violence which is not handled particularly well. So, if you don't feel like listening to that, I totally understand, but it is something that comes up in this book. New Teen Titans, Volume 2, Number 34. August, 1987. Non-Compos-Mento. Written by Marv Wolfman. Draughted by Eduardo Barreto. Inked by Romeo Tangal. Lettered by Alberto Guzman. Colored by Adrian Roy. And edited by Barbara Randall and purportedly Marv Wolfman. Teen Titan Roll Call. Nightwing. Raven. Starfire. Wonder Girl. Cyborg. Jericho, and Beast Boy. Previously in the New Teen Titans. An indeterminate but seemingly significant amount of comic book time ago, Steve Dayton, the fifth richest and therefore fifth most trustworthy man in America, invented or found or bought a reality-warping magic science hat, which he called the Mento Helmet, and I call the Freshmaker. For years, Steve used the Freshmaker in a superhero-adjacent capacity as an ally of Doom Patrol. But when that team's name proved to be sadly prophetic and the majority of its members were killed, including Steve's wife Rita Farr, a.k.a. Elastigirl, Steve kinda lost his shit. Swearing vengeance, the perturbed plutocrat tracked his wife's killer to the jungles of Uganda, where he was immediately captured by said killers, who brainwashed him and instructed the bereaved billionaire to murder his adopted stepson, Beast Boy, and his titanic titular teammates. Raven intervened and used her powers to impersonate Steve's dead wife, Rita, and tell him to knock it off and sane up already. So Steve knocked it off and sane up already. Hooray! Things went okay for a while, but then the British mage whose name is apparently pronounced Constantine, not Constantine, convinced the recovering hat addict to use his fresh maker to look at some evil cosmic horror nonsense, and Steve went all loopy again. Bummer. Mad with power and also mad with madness, Steve decided that the Teen Titans were somehow responsible for Doom Patrol's untimely demise. The unhinged industrialist used a combination of magic hat powers and a fictional nonsense super metal to kidnap and mentally control a group of people who had recently suffered from horrific accidents, and transform them into a monstrous super-powered team he called The Hybrid. The first three members of The Hybrid, Pterodon, Gorgon, and Harpy with an I, all resented the fuck out of Steve's cerebral subjugation, and resisted obeying his commands, so he recruited an evil sumo wrestler who went by the name Behemoth, and bigged him up a bit. Behemoth didn't need any mental encouragement from Steve and his hat to do evil stuff, he just thought it was fun, so he acted as a sort of enforcer within the group. Dayton led his hybrid into a series of battles against the Titans, with the intent of murdering Beast Boy. These battles culminated with the hybrid kidnapping Aqualad and torturing the sea strengthened Super-Teen. Oh no! Our titans were outraged by this affront and prepared for a final assault on the Freshmaker's forces. Then they got distracted and decided to fight Brother Blood instead for eight issues or so. Damn it, Teen Titans! During their battle with the Church of Blood, a recently resurrected raven got some kind of a power boost to her enigmatic empathic abilities, so that was nice. Once our heroes finished their fight with the surprisingly spry supposed septicentenarian and his strangely sanguinary sect, Beast Boy eventually remembered that his stepdad was still at large, and embarked on a solo mission to track down the tempestuous tycoon and his cadre of coerced companions. Godzooks! How will Gar-Track down his frenzied father figure? Do the Titans feel guilty for leaving Aqualad in the hands of a hat-addicted madman for as long as they did? And will our heroes find a new method of restoring Steve's precarious grasp on consensus reality? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... He doesn't. He gives up and goes shopping at the mall. No? Both they and the comic book completely forget that Aqualad was part of this story, and no. They stick with the tried-and-true method of dead wife impressions. Chapter 1. Epilogue. That's not normally how epilogues work, but okay. Dick Grayson, aka Nightwing, is sleeping in his apartment when he starts having a nightmare about him and his fellow titans having to fight an amorphous monstrosity. He awakens with a start and is relieved to find that there was nothing sinister about his dream. It's just that his teammate Raven had broken into his home, was watching him sleep, and stuffed a nightmare into his brain. Well, that is a relief. Hey, didn't Raven do something like this back in the New Teen Titans' first adventure? I think she did. Dick is like, Hey Raven, this reminds me of the time you stuffed a nightmare into my brain back in our first adventure. What gives? Raven is like, Oh, nothing much. Just reminiscing. So I figured I'd pop in and dreamscape you for old time's sake. Anyway, there's some crime going on nearby, and pretty soon the Titans are going to all need to do a fight or something. But since I'm here and have already broken into your bedroom, how about I give you some relationship advice? Dick is like, Um, how about I go fight that crime you mentioned instead? Raven is like, oh sure, of course. So here's the thing, you're being a real asshole to your space girlfriend. Stop giving Coriander so much shit about the fact that she got space married to save her planet and just make out with her already, will you? Nightwing is like, look, being angsty and jealous and lashing out at people I care about is kind of my thing. Besides, Batman always taught me that the only time to talk about your feelings is as a soliloquy, so if it's all the same to you, I'm gonna go try to find that crime. Raven is like, Have it your way, Dick. Dick is like, Thanks. Wait, were you saying my name or insulting me just then? Raven is like, Yes, and teleports away. Nightwing changes into his do-gooding duds and hops on his motorcycle. As he drives, he thinks to himself about how he totally loves Starfire, but feels like the fact that she's space-married is a bit of a deal-breaker for him. He doesn't get farther than a couple of blocks before he starts hearing screams for help coming from the upstairs window of a nearby tenement building. An overwrought bearded man named Henry is holding a shotgun to the head of a woman he calls Mary and is threatening to shoot her for cheating on him. Dick figures this is probably the crime that Raven was talking about, and he starts heading in that direction. Henry isn't too keen about this idea and starts firing his gun at the approaching vehicle. One shot hits the motorcycle's tire and sends Nightwing flying. The angst-ridden aerialist regains himself quickly and surreptitiously climbs up the fire escape. When he arrives at the window, he sees Mary cowering in the corner with her toddler son in her arms, while a tearful Henry berates her and chastises the terrified woman for quote, making him do this. Unquote. Mary is like, "Look." I'm sorry I cheated on you, but it was just the once, and it was because you were always so emotionally distant. Henry is like, Well, that hurts my feelings, so now I have to murder you. Dick pops in and kicks Henry in the face and takes his gun away. Hooray! The acrobatic adventurer addresses the abusive gunman and is like, Sorry, Henry, but you should leave sublimating emotions into violent outbursts to professionals like me. Then he punches him. Henry picks his rifle back up and is like, But she hurt my feelings. I feel like I should probably murder her for that. Nightwing disagrees. He eventually manages to convince Henry to put the gun down. Then he's like, I should probably arrest you, but I'm not going to. Henry, if I leave you guys alone together, do you promise not to murder Mary and, I don't know, maybe see a therapist or something? Henry begrudgingly agrees. Then Dick turns to Mary and is like, Look, I know we tried to murder you in front of your toddler and all, but... Do you want to try to work things out with him? Mary's like, yeah, I guess. So Dick leaves. What the actual fuck, Dick? From an adjacent rooftop, Raven watches on approvingly. What the fuck, Raven? The next day, Wonder Girl, a.k.a. Donna Troy, and her husband, Terry Long, are hanging out at the mall. Terry teases Donna about the fact that she's an orphan. Donna's like, ha ha, good one, Terry. There was a time when that would have bugged me, but I've really changed a lot since the first issue of New Teen Titans. Now I have a whole adopted family, and the Titans are like a family too, and I'm married to a stupid piece of shit like you, so I guess that's a third family. This good-natured ribbing is interrupted when a green dog runs up and starts licking Donna's face. It is Beast Boy. Gross. Hey, remember how a couple of issues ago Gar went off in search of his missing stepdad? Well, I guess he doesn't either, because here he is, hanging out at the mall with his objectively way too good for him girlfriend, Jillian. Jericho, Dick, and Raven show up too, so I guess either they arranged to meet there, or one of the stores was having a sale on eavesdropping equipment, half assed disguises, and drama, and none of them wanted to miss out on it. Turns out they arranged to meet there. Which makes sense. The eavesdropping store usually holds off on their clearance sale until Memorial Day. Raven teleports away to go pick Cyborg up, and says that she'll meet the gang back at the Titan Tower. Moments later, the Azarathian Empath finds Vic hanging out at the same sports field she first met him at. But unlike their initial encounter, this time, the mostly molybdenum marvel is not alone. He's mentoring a group of children with disabilities, and showing off his nifty prosthetic limbs for them. When Raven shows up, Vic thanks his old kinda-but-not-really-love-interest Sarah Sims for bringing the kids over, then makes out for a minute with his new love interest-slash-physical therapist, Sarah Charles. Then he and Raven teleport back to their T-shaped skyscraper to reconvene with the other Titans. Chapter 2. Um, not epilogue, I guess. The Titans are in front of the Titan Tower and are locked in a pitched battle with the Hybrid. Oh, okay. The Hybrid are like, Hey guys, sorry about this, but... Mento says we gotta kick your asses and maybe kill you or something. We'll do our best to resist his mental control, but honestly, we kinda suck at that. So, like we said, sorry. The big sumo guy is like, I'm not sorry, I'm a jerk. The rest of the hybrid are like, okay, fine, Behemoth isn't sorry, but the rest of us are. It's probably worth noting that there are a few more members of hybrid than there were before. In addition to the pterodactyl guy, the flappy lady, the snake-haired guy, and the sumo jerk, there's now a sandstorm lady, a jumpy and flippy lady, and a metal guy with a phonetically spelled-out southern accent. Everybody fights everybody. Things are pretty evenly matched for the most part, but Steve and his Freshmaker hat are nowhere to be seen. Starfire heads into the building to look for the missing maniac. Dick is concerned that the spicy space princess might be overmatched by the nigh-omnipotent hat addict, so he follows her in. The former boy wonder's progress is hampered by the pterodactyly-looking hybrid guy who sneak attacks him. Luckily, Dick finds that his airborne adversary has a skill set that is ill-suited for indoor combat. He beats up his cretaceous counterpart and continues on into the building. Unfortunately, Dick soon finds that his dinosaur dalliance cost his progress precious seconds, because he stumbles across Starfire's unconscious body. It seems that as he had feared, the Tameranian Titan was no match for the Freshmaker. A triumphant Steve gloats semi-incoherently over his vanquished alien enemy. He's all like, Woohoo! I'm as loopy as shit! I'm gonna kill the crap out of all you costume cryfighters with my magic hat I am! Whee! The braggadocious billionaire's boasts are interrupted by the arrival of his hybrid minions, who are bearing the apparently inert bodies of the Teen Titans. Steve is like, Yay! But then Beast Boy pops up and is like, Nah, just kidding. We're all fine. Raven used her new souped-up nonsense powers to unmind control the hybrid. We'd all like you to stop being evil now, please. Steve is like, No way! Evil is rad! But then Raven teleports in and is like, Everyone hold hands. I'm going to resanify Steve Dayton, but I'll need all your thoughts and prayers. Everybody ready? Okay, here I go. And with that, the avian-themed enchantress grabs Steve's head like a basketball, and with the combined forces of the Hybrid and the Teen Titans thinking their most benign thoughts at her, she wades into the madman's psyche. It's not looking great in there at first. But then Beast Boy loves at his psychically scarred stepdad just as hard as he can, and things start clearing up a bit. Raven calls up images of Steve's dead wife Rita and her Doom Patrol buddies, and then makes them tell the embattled entrepreneur that it'd be real cool if he took off his magic hat and started being sane again. Steve is a little reluctant, but eventually at the combined urgings of his hallucinations and Beast Boy, Steve Dayton uses the Mento helmet ...to destroy the Mento helmet. Hooray! Once the Freshmaker has unmade itself, Steve is like, Well, guess I'm sane now. Sorry about all the fuss. And yes, by fuss, I do mean the robbing you of all bodily autonomy, performing whimsy-based medical experiments on you, and forcing you to try to kill teenagers. The hybrid are all like, Ah, don't worry about it. No hard feelings. We can all tell that deep down... You're a pretty good guy, and we'd all like to hang out with you and live at your house with you if that's okay. We can all be best friends. Wait, what? Starfire wakes up from her nap, and Dick is like, Hey, sorry I've been such a... me lately. I still want to be your boyfriend, even though you are space married to another guy. Maybe we can get Earth married someday or something. That sounds good to Starfire. She picks Dick up in her arms and flies him up into the night sky so that they can have dramatic aerial makeouts together. The end. Man, a hat that unmakes hats? That's like the opposite of the one in an Arby's uniform. And joining us once again via the magic of telephonic communication is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going?
1: Hey, it's going pretty good. How are you?
0: Ah! Been a hell of a week, huh?
1: Oh, my goodness. (laughs)
2: Uh, It's so distracting.
0: It really is. And then the past couple of days, I've just been laughing at myself a little bit at how elated it made me that they canceled Donald Trump's Twitter, Mm -hmm. it shouldn't make me this happy because it's such a minor thing. It's like there's a serial killer who's been stalking you and sending you taunting messages and you talk to the police and they're like, hey, don't worry. We finally got it taken care of. And you're like, oh, so he's going to jail? And they're like, no, we sent 50 pizzas to his house (laughs) and my reaction is like he'll never eat all those pizzas this is terrific
2: yeah it does have that feel of absurdity
0: and yet it still does make me very happy so i don't know as distracting as the news has been lately perhaps we can distract from the distraction you want to talk about a comic book
2: i think we should
0: Corey, what did you think of this comic
2: book? You know, I liked this one, I think, more than I was prepared to. Oh. Maybe because finally we got the end of the Freshmaker arc that has been with us for so long now.
0: Yeah, honestly, it was so anticlimactic for me. I liked this comic book, I think, less than I expected to. Like, I was excited for Wolfman to come back because I feel like the book's been feeling a little bit stagnant. And there were things I liked about the issue, but it felt really disjointed and also hurried to me. Hmm. Like, yes, we've been waiting for the resolution of this hybrid story forever, but it was a story that got dropped like eight months ago, like eight months worth of issues ago, so eight issues ago. And then it just picks up again and very hurriedly is like, and then Raven fixed everybody's brains and made everything better. The end. Mm -hmm. Nobody even mentions Aqualad. Like, the fact that he was held hostage and tortured, nobody even looks for him or is like, oh, so, hey, is he here somewhere? Like, what the fuck?
2: Oh, my God, I forgot that (laughs) Nanto had captured him and put him in that tank thing.
0: Yeah, you and the Teen Titans alike. And there were a bunch of details like that that I think were set up before that at this point were just forgotten about. It really felt to me like this is two separate issues because the story is called Epilogue or the first chapter of the story is called Epilogue. It's non compos mento, which is a pun based on non compos mentis, meaning not of sound mind. Yeah. But, I mean, mentis means that, so non I think, would be not of sound singular for the fresh-making breath mint.
2: Yeah, so like an expired mint, like in the bottom of your mom's purse that you find when you're a kid. Ugh, gross. <laughs> and it's pretty gross, but still kind of good, because you're a kid.
0: It's got a little flecks of crystal light on it.
2: <laughs> Some lint.
0: Yeah. So the first chapter of it is the epilogue, and it feels like Wolfman started off to write an epilogue, and I liked the structure of it, and I liked that it was setting up kind of a mirror story to the first Titan's Adventure, because he's been gone from the title, even though he's still been getting a partial writer credit on it for like six months or so. And so I like the idea of like, yeah, you will return to the teen titans, and let's take stock of where each character is and see how much they've changed since they first got together. And so you see the structure of that with, like, you know, Raven comes in and gives Dick the same nightmare that she gave him when she first met him, which is a weird thing to do, but okay. And then you get a little checking in with each titan, and they talk about how much they've grown and changed since they first met. And then halfway through the book, which is what starts... Chapter two of non Mento, we're stuffed in media res into this big fight with the hybrid. And it's like somebody told Wolfman, oh, hey, the story you're writing an epilogue to, you didn't actually finish that story. <laughs> and he's like, oh, fuck, I didn't. Uh, OK, then, uh, yeah, Raven steps in and fixes everybody's brains the end. And then we get the resolution to the story, which is Dick is like, hey, I've been a dick. I should knock that off and uh, smooches his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And so I liked the bookends, but the whole part with the hybrid smushed into the middle. I'm glad it's out of the way. I'm glad it clears the slate, but it felt very unsatisfying to me.
2: Yeah, I I could see what you mean by that because it was all kind of rushed, but I don't know. I enjoyed this idea of, okay, we're going to do this team thing where we all join together and it just happens to be inside Steve Dayton's head. And then everything explodes. And he has this, you know, this weird near-death experience reunion with Rita, you know, and everybody. I don't know. It felt, like, kind of intense and and touching. Okay. And then he he explodes his own head helmet (laughs) thing.
0: I'm glad he exploded his own helmet head. Uh Uh-huh. That was a nice touch. There were things that I liked about it, but for me, too many of the details didn't fit together. And it felt like Wolfman had forgotten about them or just didn't care about them anymore because he wanted the story to end. Like the whole thing with Behemoth, who his whole deal up until this point was like, yeah, all the rest of the hybrid guys were going along with Dayton because if they didn't, they'd die. But he was for real super evil and just wanted to be bigger and stronger and hurt people. And then they're just like, yeah, but now he wasn't that way.
2: Yeah, that part definitely jumped out at me as as being really incongruous.
0: And also just the fact that the way the fight starts in media res, where it's just like, oh, and then they're in the midst of the battle. I don't recognize half of these hybrid guys because half of them had never appeared in a new Teen Titans story before. Luckily, a wonderful listener sent me the Blue Beetle stories that, directly precede this issue so i got to find out who prometheus and touch and go which is not <laughs> a good name for a teenage character and what, what was her name uh, it was a uh
2: uh yeah like the vw man i thought those things were so cool
0: <laughs> yeah which is an italian word meaning sandstorm and she has sandstorm capabilities
2: the most irritating of superpowers.
0: Oh, absolutely.
2: The sand, it hurts my eyes.
0: It's all up in your under things. And if you're mm. a superhero, that's especially unsettling because it's all under things.
2: That's all you got.
0: Yeah. But yeah, I was like, oh, well, uh, okay, who are these guys? So I went back and I read the Blue Beetle stuff and that was fine. But it doesn't come into play that Gar went off on his own to find Steve Dayton. There's no mention of that. Steve Dayton did some super fucked up stuff. Like, he put a lot of those people in the predicaments that left them near death before he saved them, and they are all just like, well, you know, it seems like deep down you're a good guy. I know you've been mentally controlling me and making me try to kill teenagers for the better part of a year now, but you know what? Forgive and forget. Let's all be friends and live together. That seemed so unearned. Yeah, that
2: part with Pterodon, like, I I mean, with all of them, right? Where, yeah, they're like, oh, he, he saved our lives. Like, so he's actually cool. I'm like, dude, he didn't he throw you out of an airplane all the way to the ground?
0: I don't think he did that to him. I think the terrorists threw him out of an airplane and he was dead. But then he got better.
2: Oh, okay. So that adds
0: up. Even if he saved his life. There was no reason to make him a pterodactyl man. Like, that was just his whimsy.
2: And that hat is so impractical.
0: I kind of like the hat.
2: (laughs) Pterodactyl has an impractical hat, Hub. I'm sorry. I thought you of all people. I guess there's not a picture of another hat on it, so it's okay.
0: No, and I like that it is like the B-side of Pharaoh hats. Hmm. Like, you get your two standard pharaoh hats, right? You get the uh, the one you normally see, which is the one where it looks like... You know when you take a t-shirt off and then you just stop once the neck hole is around your forehead and let mm-hmm. it flop over your shoulders? Yeah, with the stripes. Right? Yeah, standard but it's got stripes. stripes. Yeah. yeah. You ever do that? And you're like, Hey, look at me, I'm a pharaoh! And then your, your partner <laughs> says... I love you in that super condescending way where it's like, I can't believe I love an idiot like you.
2: <laughs> that's what that tone means. <laughs> oh. It's been troubling
0: me. Okay. Yeah. Not that pharaoh hat, but the other one that's just like the long cylinder hat that makes the pharaoh look like maybe he's one of the xenomorphs from Aliens. hmm I like that hat. I think you know that uh What's it, Amenhotep IV? Little Deely looks pretty good on Terradon. Mm. I
2: don't know. Maybe I'm just, I'm, I'm projecting my own, like, jumpiness and clumsiness into it. And it's like, every time I go through a doorway, I'm going to hit that thing and then be like, <laughs> oh, what's happening?
0: Well, I like that it makes him look less like Batboy from the Weekly World News. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's a good And point. I think especially in the 80s, you, you want to have that disambiguation.
2: Oh, yeah, Batboy was everywhere.
0: Oh, yeah, he was huge.
2: Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I believe he ran for president. That might have been in the 90s. Hmm. Regardless, (laughs) I think they are all a bit too quick to forgive Steve Dayton for his freak making of them, which really was just to serve his whimsy. And then, yeah, like it's a huge violation that he controlled their actions with his mind for the better part of a year. And they're just like, you know what? He seems like a good guy. Let's all live together. He Mm -hmm. also gave us these little iron-on patches that have H's on them. So it's a wash.
1: Yeah, okay. Fair
2: point.
0: Especially with the new guys, with Prometheus, that is a dude. So let's just do a brief run-through of the people who make up Hybrid. We have Gorgon, who is Adonis Ball. He has uh, snake hair and statue-making eyes, but his eyes are now less buttholey holy looking, which is nice.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a relief. He probably found a good night cream.
0: Maybe that's why he's a little bit more forgiving. We have his wife Harpy with an eye, which is Angelica Ball. Uh, she is flappy and maybe has claws or something. I forget what her deal is. I know she used to have fabric levitation powers, but now she's got a different costume, so it's tough to tell. Mm -hmm. You got Behemoth, who is Taro Raiden, who is a big, strong sumo jerk, who, once he got bigger, got a topknot and a mustache as part of his mutant power. And for me, still, my favorite thing about him is that his name is Taro, which is Japanese for big boy.
2: (laughs) Yep. He's a big boy.
0: He really is. And then we got the new guys. We got, I'm going to say it wrong, every time, Sirocco? Sirocco. Sirocco, who is Cassandra Sharp. She's a geologist, and she makes sandstorms, and she has, like, a shredded-looking costume that's pretty dope. We don't really know that much about her.
2: Man, that would be such a convenient power for, like, house cleaning.
0: Oh, Totally.
2: Just all the assuming you can levitate dust and stuff, too.
0: Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. I just thought you were going to be sandblasting everything clean, which seems like it would be expensive in the long run.
2: Yeah, no, I was just like, let's just move all the particulate matter that I don't want outside.
0: Mm, You could take those like dirt showers like Lori Petty did in Tank Girl. That'd be fun.
2: I have seen that, but I can't remember... A dirt shower scene?
0: Yeah, there's a weird scene where they take a shower in sand for some reason. I guess because there's no water, but it also didn't seem like it would get you clean.
2: Oh, no. Like, after we had that dirt fight that one time?
0: (laughs) That was fun.
2: That was fun, but it took a long time to get clean, and the house clean.
0: Yeah, sorry about that.
2: (laughs) That was a bad idea.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we had a lot of those back then. Bad ideas or dirt fights? Uh, bad ideas. I think we just had the one dirt fight. Yeah. Dirt yeah. fight was probably a better idea than when we wore motorcycle helmets and hit each other in the head with bowling pins.
2: Oh. I remember I hurt my hand punching your motorcycle <laughs> helmet. I was wearing motorcycle gloves. I was right. like Motorcycle gloves, motorcycle helmet. These things had to cancel one another out. Nope.
0: It's probably not surprising that our recollections of that event are hazy.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't remember the bowling pins. That sounds <laughs> that sounds pretty funny though.
0: Yeah, it was a bad idea. <laughs> and then we get the final member of the hybrid, uh, Prometheus, who is a dude named Kurt Calhoun, who has a Southern accent, who used to work for the Blue Beetle in his science lab, Cord Industries, then. It seems pretty clear that Mento dumped a bucket of molten promethium, that nonsense metal, over his head. And then, I guess, technically saved his life after doing that. But that doesn't seem like the sort of thing you should be grateful for.
2: Okay, so that's that's the one where he basically puts you at death's door and then saves you. So yeah. you see what I did for you?
0: Uh-huh, you're welcome.
2: Oh, that's a shitty trick.
0: Yeah. Although, Kurt Calhoun, it's been a while since we've had a good phonetically spelled out accent in this, and uh, this was a pretty fun one. It is a very poorly done southern accent, which I appreciated. <laughs> I,
2: I sure don't want to hurt you none.
0: <laughs> Golly! But I got it. I can't remember if it's in this or in the Blue Beetle issues, but he does at one point say Tarnation. Oh my. Also, I like that his name is Kurt Calhoun. It makes me think that when they came up with the character, they're like, eh, eventually he'll turn into a superhero because those are kind of the two most prominent naming conventions for superhero alter egos. You either get the alliteration, which is more the Marvel side of things like your Peter Parker, your Bruce Banner, your Reed Richards, your Sue Storms, or you get the two first names, which is more of a DC Comics thing like Bruce Wayne, Clark Kent, Al Jordan, John Stewart, Barry Allen. <laughs> And so it seems like they were maybe leaning towards making him a superhero. Interesting. There are plenty of heroes who don't fall into that, but it is a pretty common trope for alter ego names.
2: Yeah, no, he convinced me that was a good list.
0: Oh, thanks. But yeah, I, I like Kirk Calhoun. Although I gotta say, Prometheus is a little bit on the nose.
2: Yeah, I forgive it all because of that accent that, that <laughs> warmed the cockles of my heart.
0: I mean, ideally, he should have maybe, I guess, nonsense metal birds eating his nonsense metal liver every day. But...
2: (laughs) Took me a second, but I, I got there.
0: So, like I said, in general, I was torn on the story. We also see that, yeah, Raven once again comes in and uses her powers to suddenly make everybody not mentally controlled by Mentos, and then goes into Mentos's brain and is like, Hey, I'm going to sane you up real good. I mean, you you got to help some, and also, for some reason, we all have to hold hands while we do it, but essentially, I'm wading into your brain, impersonating your dead wife for the third time, and then you'll be all better.
2: Oh, shit. It almost sounds creepy when you say it like that.
0: <laughs> I feel like they need to just get him a photograph of Rita Farr that he can just carry around with him, and just whenever he starts to lose it, just look at it and be like, oh, right, sorry, sane again.
2: Yeah, but then you don't get that cool, like, uh, Mother's Milk, Red Hot Chili Peppers album cover moment, where she's, like, holding them in the in the hand, and she's giant.
0: Oh, I missed that. Let me take a look.
2: It's, it's not as explicit as that. It's on page 23 at the top.
0: Oh, a little bit. She's not cradling them to her bosom and has, like, a red hot chili pepper, or a rose or something crossing out her nipple. Is that what that was? Yeah, it was
2: like a flower or something.
0: I remember I asked for that album for Christmas and I got it as a Christmas present from my paternal grandparents but then they like lectured me about how I shouldn't have asked for something with a dirty cover and I was like, you didn't have to buy it! Oh,
1: that's
2: just uncalled for.
0: Yeah, I agree. But they're both dead now. Unrelated.
2: Um <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that.
0: I brought it up in a weird way.
1: <laughs> mm. I'm sorry?
0: Yeah. Yeah, okay. no, it's 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 still it's still a bummer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. In general, I liked the epilogue part at the beginning and then at the end of it, and I felt like that kind of held together better as a story, and seemed like the story that Wolfman was more interested in telling. With one notable exception, I was so upset at the Henry and Mary story.
2: Dick Grayson.
1: What
0: the fuck, dude? A violent man holds his girlfriend at gunpoint with her child and is about to kill her, you intervene and then are like, you know what? I think things are going to work out okay between you guys. I'm just going to go. I should bring you to jail for trying to kill your girlfriend with her toddler present and maybe kill her toddler too. But, you know, you were just upset. And I see a lot of me in you. So, I don't know. I'm going to encourage Mary to get back together with her violent, abusive boyfriend and then leave and trust that everything will work out.
2: Yeah. And, you know, also not forgetting that Henry tried to kill Dick and blew up his motorcycle, not moments before. Yeah. Yeah. And so Dick's rationale is like, oh, man, you seem really unstable. I shouldn't bring you in. Dude, what the fuck? You just you need to go work on yourself, you know?
0: I mean, it's clearly it's he sees the parallels between Henry and himself and the way he's been treating Corey in like a, a, a metaphoric way. Not you, mm-hmm. Corey. Corey and Dur Corey. Yeah, I got it. Dick Grayson you. hasn't been emotionally abusive to you, has he?
2: I've read a lot of these comics, but (laughs) not directly, no.
0: But he realizes that he is hurting the person that he loves because he can't let go of his jealousy and what happened in the past, essentially. And I understand that as a metaphor, but to just be like, this violent psychopath reminds me of myself. So you know what? I'm out of here. But you know who the real villain in this is? Is Raven who watches all that shit happen from across the street, when we find out later in the issue she has, and knows she has, the power to just kind of wade in and cure someone's mental illness.
2: Yeah, I constructed a little, like, side narrative in my head that um, she did that after Dick left. (laughs) She's like, I don't really want to see this lady and her kid get murdered, so I'm just going to go fix that
1: guy.
0: Okay, good. Because uh, I like Raven for the most part in this issue. But that that bit where she's just like, nice work, everybody. Well, my job here is done. Bye. Mm-hmm. I know. She's like
2: super creepy about it, too. She's like, I'm going to stand on the parapet of this building far away, looking through a broken window and just, you know, be smug.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Dick looks out the window and sees her and is like, ah, you got me, Raven.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well played.
0: You're just like, God, always pranking me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because he does bring up a couple of times earlier that he feels like God is pulling practical jokes on him.
2: Yeah, it's not the only God reference in here, too. You have Steve Dayton also musing aloud, like, oh, is this
0: what it feels like to be God? Yeah, when he's just doing weird capricious shit with his brain powers. That's the other thing in which, I don't know, I'm questioning some of the timing on them. Removing the Mentos hat from Steve. I get it that it was fucking his brain all up. But in this and in the Blue Beetles issue, we do see that this hat of his has remarkable powers. And it makes what he did to the hybrid to make them what they are that much worse. Because in the Blue Beetles issues, one of the things he does is just capriciously transform his lab assistant into various animals. And we saw earlier that he. When he was angry at Aqualad, turned him into a pile of dirt for a second, and then just rehydrated him. Mm -hmm. So he could have, you know, helped, and I'm using air quotes, the rest of the hybrid without turning them into what they would self-describe as freaks. He could have just, you know, like, blinked them into new bodies. And he didn't. He made them weird pterodactyl people.
2: And you shall have anuses for eyes, (laughs) sir.
0: You're welcome. You're all better now. I'm very wealthy.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Steve Dayton does not come across good in this. And I do agree with you. I feel like both he and Henry got let off a little easy.
0: Yeah. I mean, if nothing else, you would think that Raven, when she, you know, I guess she doesn't jump into his brain the way Jericho does, but she jumps into his emotions or whatever and can make him feel different things. Could have at least suggested, hey, how about you, uh, you know, put these guys in a nice new body, huh? Mm-hmm. Maybe something a little less pterodactyl
2: Yeah, or let them choose if they want to go back to how they were before.
0: Sure, sure. Because, yeah, you definitely get the impression that Behemoth likes his current Samurai Sam from Geriatric Jujitsu Gerbils. Look,
2: <laughs> <laughs> ah, I remember that. What were those God, those knuckleheads who came on the show?
0: Oh, Ed and Gary. Yeah, I, I listened back to our feed. and Was like, how did that even get in there?
1: Sheesh. But I remember. It. Yeah. Huh.
0: Yeah, there were the studio was just filled with cigarette butts and empty cans of Code Red Mountain Dew. <laughs> and for loco i don't even know where they got that stuff
2: Isn't that outlawed or something
0: i thought so i don't know you know who else was a dick in this issue hmm. this shouldn't be a big surprise but terry fucking long
2: hey uh <laughs> hey you're you're an orphan right <laughs>
0: hey I, I got some i got some great jests and japes about how you were abandoned as a baby remember when your parents died baby, in a fire <laughs> hey that not, not apartment they uh they ditched you in you remember how you were ditched in an apartment and you don't have any memories of your childhood now it's a sears burn
2: oh my god
0: yeah i know oh, what a dipshit She is too nice to him. She really is. It's just, it's frustrating to read. I bet every time she says, I love you to him, it's in that voice that maybe someone would say to you if you were wearing a t-shirt like a pharaoh hat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Probably so. There was one little bit that kind of amused me. Some of the phrasing was a little bit awkward in this, specifically in Dick's big soliloquy. (laughs) (laughs)
2: about people thinking with their glands like with the d
0: (laughs) yeah well and then he follows that up by and maybe it's because he had said about people thinking with their glands that he says it goes against my grain and i was like is that the way people would phrase things and for some reason i was just reading the word grain as a portmanteau of groin and brain Well, it's because he's thinking with his glands. Yeah. You know, my grain, my groin (laughs) brain.
2: Uh, yeah, it's I don't know what was going on with the writing. It was that was pretty
0: bumpy. There were a bunch of things that just didn't quite add up. I think with the story line, it makes sense that there would be details that wouldn't quite fit together. I mean, Marv Wolfman generally has a fairly tenuous grasp on remembering the things that he's written before, and in this one, he's trying to tie up a few different storylines that were written by different people than him. The Blue Beetle stories were written by Len Wein, and some of that doesn't quite match up with what happens in this issue. The past five or six issues of New Teen Titans were written by Paul Levitz, and then there was also a Teen Titans Spotlight on. I think it was number 10, which also focuses on this hybrid storyline, and that was written by John Ostrander. And so I think you can expect it to not quite be a seamless transition back to this story. It's not great, but I understand that. But yeah, they're they're weird, like, that's not quite how that phrase goes moments in the writing in this that were mm-hmm. just a little bit, that's kind of clunky. Got some, like, writer's rust.
1: hmm
0: Were you as disturbed
2: as I was by Gar licking Donna's face? I really was. And then did it send you on a spiral also of, like, I wonder, <laughs> like, if he just was, like, it's gross because it's Gar, but also, like, when he was in his dog form, he was probably like, oh, I can lick my butt and my testicles now. <laughs> and he was probably doing that beforehand. <laughs> Which makes it even worse.
0: I hadn't followed that to its logical conclusion. You are absolutely right, Corey. Dogs are self-cleaning animals, you know? Yeah, I was just reading it as just like, oh, he thinks he can get away with it because he's a dog. He's just, just going to go up and, and lick his friends. That's gross. Stop it. But no, you're right. He pr- almost certainly does also lick his uh, grain, if you will. <laughs> And if that is the case, then I hope Jillian follows through on her threat and has him fixed. She is the best. She is the best. She, she was great in this issue. She was a ray of sartorially splendid sunlight, and Gar does not deserve her. Agreed. You ready to get into the minutiae? Let's. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia, Like Cory eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. So, Cory, what do you feel like starting off with?
2: Man, there were so many clothes to talk about, it's going to be hard to kind of narrow it down.
0: Yeah, so let's start off with those. Sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion do you want to focus on?
2: Well, I would like to start... In the mall scene, on page nine, with this pair of shoes that I would love to have, which have these like crepe soles and stars on the back of them,
0: yeah, you see, really, but man, they look cool. Those do look pretty cool.: The mall scene has some terrific fashion. We have Donna's bright pink overalls, which are a very nice and very eighties look.
2: It's weird, though, because they're like if overalls were made out of yoga pants. Yeah, they're very, very tight, Mm -hmm. With like a little white blazer
0: with the sleeves pushed up very 80s. Mm -hmm. I love Jericho's jacket. I actually have a pretty similar jacket to that. It's like a suede looking jacket that zips up and has ribbing at the waist and on the collar and he's wearing it with a tie and it just it looks so cool. Mm hmm. Dick has some weird fucking fashion goggles going on for himself, which confused the hell out of me at first. I was just like, wait, why is he wearing safety goggles? Is he going to sand something? He's in a mall. Or wait, maybe those are glasses. Is that Clark Kent? Why does he have glasses? What's happening?
2: I know. My uh, note was, Dick? (laughs) Dick with a question mark.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be. But... The star of the show, fashion-wise, is once again, the remarkable, resplendent Jillian. It's
2: like Hogwarts meets
0: 80s new wave slash office worker. Yeah. There's so much going on. (laughs) And it all works together in a way that maybe it shouldn't. But yeah, she is wearing a red sweater vest with a shirt and tie and... Her hair is dyed blue once again. I think she's been through a few different colors at this point. Some bright blue parachute pants with a yellow belt. It's such a good look.
2: Yep, she is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, and I love her her opening line, which is Gar is licking Donna, and she comes in and says, Is he bothering you? I can have him fixed if he is. So good. Yeah.
2: I really liked Raven's look here, too. She's like a... Purple
0: Carmen San Diego. She is exactly that. Yes, she's wearing a big, wide-brimmed, floppy purple hat and matching jacket. Very nice. Uh, we talked about Pterodon's new hat. Any of the hybrid uniforms stick out to you particularly?
2: Yeah, I thought uh, Touch and Go was pretty <laughs> interesting. It's like a real, like those, like high. How do you even say that? Like a high-hipped, like Jane Fonda-style unitard?
0: Mm -hmm, That's very low-cut in the back, but with a yellow, I think, scarf, maybe, and also headband. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a fun look. We see that Gorgon has some new duds with more just, I don't know, like tattered cape things going off of it. Just a, a nice look. And speaking of tatters, we have... Unpronounceable Volkswagen. What was her name again? Scirocco. I'm going to say it wrong every fucking time. <laughs> for whatever reason, I cannot keep that in my head, but I do like her look. It's got that like ragman like tattered cloak thing, which uh, mm-hmm. I think is always nice.
1: Yeah. Good call.
0: We also see that both Sarah's that have been love interests for Cyborg are featured in this issue. And Sarah number two is wearing a nice red turtleneck over a ankle length fur coat or sorry, under under. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be one hell of a turtleneck. But no, she's wearing it under a like ankle length fur coat with a popped collar, hopefully fake fur. Mm -hmm. This was a very fashion forward issue. And uh, for me, the real sartorial all star here is Jillian. Yeah, I think we can agree. On that. who did you have as your president of the drama club because this was a difficult category for me
2: yeah it was there was a, a lot to choose from you know i think steve dayton with his mind exploding is probably the obvious choice but mm-hmm. i went with a non-powered option and i i chose henry
1: oh
0: he Cries a lot. He is certainly very dramatic. He was not an option that I had. I I think his behavior goes, for me, maybe a little bit beyond dramatic. I actually went with Beast Boy. Hmm. Because I can think of few things that scream drama club to me as much as shouting at someone, I can fix you with my love! With tears in your eyes. Which he does to Steve Dayton. Granted, he was apparently technically correct about that.
2: Yeah, no, he hugs him so much and so dramatically, too. Mm -hmm. It's the most dramatic hugging we've seen, I think, to date.
0: Specifically thinking that you can fix someone's deteriorating mental state by loving at them as hard as you can, uh, and by proclaiming that tearfully, uh, I think was a very, very dramatic moment. The one I honestly considered... Just by virtue of that floppy purple hat, Raven almost snuck her way in there for me.
2: Really? Just It was a dramatic hat?
0: It is a specifically drama club hat. Mm. Like, like mm. a big floppy wide-brimmed hat is just such a drama club move, but not quite enough to get her there over Beast Boy for me. Uh, one person who definitely behaves very dramatically and is very overly conscious of their emotional state in this issue but who did not make the cut is dick and that Mm -hmm. is because he does not know the words to songs from the music man like Um. he tries to quote trouble in river city but even with his little play on it to make it so that rhymes with me instead of p yeah
2: okay that i'm glad you're Covering that because I was like, clearly, this is a reference to something, but I just can't.
0: Yeah, it's uh, We Got Trouble, right here in River City. It's uh, one of Professor Harold Hill's songs from The Music Man. That mm. starts with T, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for pool, because pool tables are gonna turn your kids into juvenile delinquents if they don't learn to play musical instruments or something. But the way Dick tries to quote that is Uh oh, trouble in River City. Trouble, that begins with T, which rhymes with me. I'm needed. It's such an awkward paraphrasing. And just by virtue of his inability to effectively quote songs from the music man, he he can't be president of the drama club. They would bar him from that position. Mm, Tough, but fair. It was like he said that there were, Oh, 71 trombones leads that big parade.
2: Um... I I don't understand that reference
0: either. It's 76 trombones, Corey, obviously.
2: I don't know what you're talking about still.
0: Okay. Um. (laughs) Is that
2: the same musical as the Trouble in
0: River City thing? It is from the same, yeah. uh, The Music Man has a song called 76 Trombones Leads the Big Parade with 110 cornets close at hand. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, you know that song, Corey. (laughs) It's your ringtone. Well, Corey, it's time for everyone's favorite new category—the interactive category of Battle of the Band Names. In last week's contest, we saw the maritime ska-themed juggernaut that is Get the Squid Drunk defeat their challenger, the uh, yakety sax covering Hanky Panky a Plenty. Get the Squid Drunk ended up winning the Twitter poll 67% to 33%. Wow. Not bad. No, they're going to be tough to beat. I did not see them becoming the force that they have. But the more that I think about it, the more I like Get the Squid Drunk as a name. So Mm. if we're going to find a band name in this comic book that can take them down, we're going to have to do some digging. Did you find anything you feel good about putting up against Get the Squid Drunk?
2: Oh, man. Honestly, I, I don't know how good their chances are. I, I, I found a couple, but I don't know if my heart's in it.
0: Uh, well, 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 we'll do our best. It's all we can be expected to do. I've got three, so let's take turns. I'll go with one, then you do one, okay? Sure. Okay, so first up, we have, this is a quote from Steve Dayton. I think they would be a, like, pop-punk combo possibly a little bit of sky in there like operation ivy style mm. yay future boo past
2: ah that was one of the uh the two that i had also
0: oh that's a point in its favor i think i yeah i just i really liked that phrase and i can see that actually being a band name do you agree that they'd be like pop punk
2: um how about that but acapella
0: <laughs> acapella pop punk yes you are yes so bad. Oh, gosh. The Vandals <laughs> meet the Manhattan transfer. Oh, no.
2: The Nylons meet no FX.
0: Yeah. So, okay, I think that's a pretty strong contender. What was your other choice?
2: Yeah, so these guys, I think, have, like, an exclusive deal with, I don't know, like, Orange Theory or a chain of fitness clubs like that. And they produce loud dance music for exercise and they are called the sweat of recognition.
0: I almost had the sweat of recognition of one of as one of mine. I would have put them more like I don't know, C and Cake style indie rock. But uh yeah. Mm. Sweat of recognition is actually pretty good.
2: Yeah, those are the two I had. Sweat of recognition, either indie rock or fitness club music. <laughs> and yay future Boo past acapella punk pop with a twist of (laughs) Scott.
0: Gosh, pick it
2: up, pick it up, pick it up.
0: So my other two choices were this feels like a cheat. It is in the comic book, but it's in the teaser for the next issue. Cause there's a little blurb at the end that says coming next crystal chaos. And I think crystal chaos is actually a pretty good name for like new age metal. Maybe.
2: Oh, gosh, I was thinking they'd they be, like, I guess it's because the crystal method is what it made me think of, would be, like, um you know, electronic high tempo.
0: Oh, I can see that, too. But like I said, like, that, I think it is eligible. It feels like a cheat, because it is just the last caption box of the issue. I don't know.
2: I think it's good. It's already got the band, like, font or logo, the way that it's written.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's kind of what makes it feel like cheating to me. Mm. It'd be like choosing the title of the comic, you know? But I think that's not a bad band name. The other one that I had was what I think would maybe be... You know how like there were all those Christian rap groups, like DC Talk and, and those? I'm seeing this one being like a Quaker rap group called The Future <laughs> Friends. oh
2: no wow so it's just it's a really boring concert like people only there's only music when people feel the spirit move them and they stand (laughs) up and spit a verse and then they sit back down
0: yes so uh yeah that's the future friends backpack quaker rap Mm. So, I don't know, I think because we both came up with yay future boo past, we should probably go with that one. Do you have strong feelings in another direction?
2: No, not really. I I, I think yay future boo past, perhaps in part to its genre similarity to Get the Squid Drunk.
0: Right. Send a thief to catch a thief. Exactly. A, uh, what is that called? It's not a parable not a phrase i mean it is a phrase but it's uh
2: send a thief to catch
0: a thief yeah what would you call that
2: Mm, an aphorism is it an aphorism i don't know i like that word though it sounds pretty pretty fancy
0: yeah it's an an aphorism that is literally never true in any situation Mm. but yeah let's give it a shot anyway (laughs) all right okay so In this week's Battle of the Band Names, it'll be Get the Squid Drunk going up against the pop-punk acapella stylings of Yay Future, Boo Past. I like it. Who will win? Only you can decide. Were you able to find a timestamp in this issue?
2: Oh, man, I found... Several
0: nice, let's hear them.
2: Well, the first is that one of the new members of the hybrid we're introduced to is named after, I think, a car that was pretty popular at the time and that I (laughs) thought was the bee's knees when I was a kid, and that was the VW Scirocco.
0: Okay, fair enough. I think you are probably right. There is an English spelling of that word that does not have a C at the beginning, and that would just be like S. So, uh, I think. They are going with the Volkswagen car name version, or possibly just the Italian spelling. So, yeah, you're probably right about that. The first one that leapt out to me was that Gar wants to go to a Club Med vacation with Justine Bateman, mm-hmm. who was, of course, the the star of... Uh, I guess she probably wasn't considered the star, but in my mind, when I was a kid, she was the star of family ties Mm, mm -hmm. where she played the older sister of Alex P. Keaton Mallory. Mm -hmm. I myself had a crush on Justine Bateman. She
2: was, she was in like, um, a band movie, I think around this time.
0: Yes. It was called satisfaction. So yeah, Gar probably saw that probably did. If he saw it at the Lilac Mall, I might have been in the theater with him. (laughs)
2: Ah, well, that that leads me to another one of the timestamps, which was just, in general, like malls were such a thing in the 80s. And um, so page nine has them
0: all chilling at the mall. Yeah, there was what felt like a missed opportunity for a timestamp that, I mean, stood out to me as possibly a... Uh, I'll fill in the specific reference I want to make here later. But when Gar tells Joey, Joey, you check out that game I mentioned? It would make a great birthday present for me. Mm. It feels like that is a, I'll come back later and fill in the the name of the game that I'm talking about. And then he just Mm. never did. What game do you think it would have been? Do you think he meant a video game? Do you think he meant like Trivial Pursuit? What, What was he talking about there?
2: Oh, gosh. Yeah, Trivial Pursuit was, like, crazy popular at that time. But was it popular with teenagers? Maybe they had come out with, like, a teen edition?
0: Oh, they probably had. They did a bunch of different editions. Yeah. I remember trying to read through the Baby Boomer edition of it that I got at, like, a thrift store. And, like, I have old taste, but I was still (laughs) that stuff was just, like, I have no idea what these fuckers are talking about.
2: Oh, wow. That I would like to see, because <laughs> I do not like playing Trivial Pursuit
0: with you at all. I'm sorry. You remember too much. It's a curse. Hmm. Tell you what, we'll have to start playing that game with motorcycle helmets and bowling pins again. <laughs> Every time you get one right, I get to hit you in the head <laughs> with a bowling pin. This is a bad plan. <laughs>
2: I have no idea what the game would be. I can't remember what video games were.
0: Like... Battle Toads,
2: Cubert was that popular then?
0: I think this would be a post-Cubert society. Is
2: there such a thing?
0: By eighty-seven, I think we're in like full NES mode.
1: Oh, okay.
0: But yeah. Anyway, but like I said, it doesn't count as a timestamp, but seems like a weird thing to throw in there if you're not going to make a specific reference.
2: Hmm. I had a couple more. One was that after Terry finishes making his hilarious joke about Donna being an orphan who was abandoned in a building that burned down, mm-hmm. um, she does mention that it is now a Wixen Sticks. Was that a real store? I had to Google it because I was like, that sounds kind of familiar. And yeah, it was a chain of mostly mall based, like home furnishing and sort of like a, a Yankee candle meets. Um,
0: like pottery barn? Yeah. Huh.
1: Yeah, like a pottery barn meets Yankee candle gift shop store. Wow. That, that's
0: a heck of a pull. They are no longer a thing. That's a goddamn shame. <laughs> so I'm not a huge fan of scented candles, but Lisa did recently find some candles that we keep on our bookshelves now that are scented like, I think it's pipe tobacco and honey. And they smell so that fucking good. good, and like it's like, oh yes, this is what a library should smell like.
2: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, she kind of stockpiled them, so that's nice. Nice. What was your final timestamp?
2: There was a Kmart mention. Oh um, yeah. Cyborg was talking about making a joke to his his little differently labeled friends about um like uh, having their bodies be partially from Kmart.
0: Yeah. I guess I forget that Kmart isn't a thing anymore. Mm -hmm. But they're not, right? Are they all closed down or just most of them?
2: I don't know. I I did did not research Mm. that, but I just sort of assumed that they had gone away.
0: I remember we used to sometimes go to the Kmart that was right near the Purity Supreme in Rochester.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too.
0: Have we talked about what a weird name for a grocery store Purity Supreme is? I feel like we have. I don't know if it's been on the show. I don't know if we can overstate that, though. It really does sound like that would be the name of an exotic dancer. Mm. But I have, I don't know, necessarily fond, but like after my parents got divorced and I was living with my dad, he would sometimes freak out and take me and my sister shopping at Purity Supreme at like three or four in the morning because he was having, I think, just kind of a slightly manic face and would just be like, no lines! Come on, kids, let's go! Oh, jeez. But yeah, I always kind of liked Purity Supreme.
2: Yeah, I remember that Kmart had, I mean, when you're little everything, of course, seems much bigger, so it probably wasn't, like, that amazing, but the selection of, uh, like, tracksuits or jogging suits that were really popular in the 80s, especially with the breakdancing thing. Mm -hmm. And I remember I, I picked one out there that was, like, blue with Yellow and orange and maybe red piping. Ooh. And it was like that parachute pants fabric. And there was just this, like, uh, not an aisle, but like a rack that seemed like it just went on for miles with all of these, like, cool, like, parachute pant tracksuits you could choose. Wow. Yeah, it was a very happy memory.
0: Every issue of a new Teen Titans comic has a Beast Boy, the worst of Teen Titans, but also an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans. In this issue, who did you have as your Aqualad and who did you have as your Beast Boy?
2: So, despite her creepy methods, I went with Raven for saving the day. She basically saves everybody by, you know, maybe mind wiping them, but still she saves everybody. Probably even Aqualad. We We don't know. <laughs> yeah. And uh also she uh she gets dick to finally come around and stop being such a, a jerk, we hope, to
0: um Starfire. Hopefully so. Yeah, I also had Raven as my choice. Her DSX machina powers really did save the entire day and wrap up, in my opinion, a little bit too tidily, a longstanding storyline. By her just waiting in and just being like, Okay, now you guys aren't mind-controlled, and you're sane again, you're welcome, and Dick, stop being a you. And mm-hmm. everybody just was instantly all better. And, well, I would argue with the storytelling of that, she clearly did do the best job in the issue, especially when you throw in the caveat that she went in and cleaned up Dick's mess after him, and uh got Henry the help that he needed rather than just trusting that everything would work out okay because he got a talking to from a young man with a deep v neck
2: yeah, it was kind of like this is maybe too much of an aside, but like remember when that guy at Plaid Pantry tried to rob me with the bullet, and then I yelled at him. <laughs> And then he left, and on the way out, he pointed at me and said, you and me, man, we're the same. We ain't got nothing. I do remember that. And that's basically what Dick did when he left (laughs) Henry's apartment.
0: Didn't you find out later that that guy had robbed a bunch of other convenience stores just by using a bullet?
2: Yes. (laughs) Which made me feel equally tough and foolish. Yeah. Or maybe stupid.
0: Yeah, I think it is a combination of those. Like, I I think at the time you were just, like, super frustrated and really did not like working at a plaid pantry, which, for those of you outside of the Pacific Northwest, is a chain of convenience stores here. Yep. I could totally understand that frustration, and then also feeling like, wait a minute, there is not no possibility that he also had a gun, and that's not my money. Yes, and, and also,
2: you know... I was small and he was a bigger guy and could have very easily hurt me.
0: Yeah. Didn't he also say, like, like just take a beer and be like, well, can I keep this beer?
2: Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, I gave him permission to take the, the 40.
0: <laughs> so when he, he said you and me were the same, we got nothing. I mean, he had a beer at that point.
2: You know, that didn't occur to me at the time. But that makes me even madder now, <laughs> thinking about it.
1: So, uh, what are we? Oh. Uh,
0: Best, best, and worst. And I don't know how it did. How did we. Uh, Because that was like Dick Grayson lecturing Henry in some way. Ah, yes, that's right. Which brings me back to my choice for Beast Boy, which was Dick, for deciding that his stern talking to would uh, set Henry on the straight and narrow and. Just, I don't know, the idea of him urging a woman to reconcile with her violent abuser who just threatened her and her child with a shotgun was so fucked up.
2: Yeah, I, I had an honorable mention for Beast Boy for after doing the self-cleaning dog thing for then licking Donna's face. Yes. Um, but yeah, clearly Dick's choices there put him in the, the front running for...
0: The Beast Boy. Yeah, I also had Beast Boy as my backup for the Donna licking and just generally taking Jillian for granted because he does that thing where in front of her, he's just like, it would be the best birthday present for me, this unnamed game, next to a weekend in Tahiti with Justine Bateman, that is. And then Jillian yells at him and he's like, just kidding, my love, my heart, my sole reason to breathe. Hey, gang, you think old blue hair bought that? Fuck you. Mm-hmm. But not fuck you as hard as fuck you, Dick, for urging a woman to reconcile with her violent abuser. Because he reminds you of you. Agreed. Well, Corey, I think it's time we took this party to the bozo. What instance of a character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically? Do you want to highlight? Yeah, I... <laughs> <laughs> Are you using echolocation for your bozone, Corey? Um,
2: sorry. It's called the Friendmaker.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I... Did you buy Maybe. the Friend Maker app from, <laughs> from a narwhal?
1: <laughs> it's, it is a free <laughs> app. And I, I didn't...
0: Here's a Vuvuzela. Oh, that's terrible. That will not make any friends. But what our various... Ah! Okay, that's enough. (laughs) What our various sound effects are indicating is is that this issue did in fact have a Natty B. Cyborg uses the phrase...
2: He calls his young friends a bunch of bozos.
0: He also calls them creeps, I think. Doesn't he? He does,
2: yeah. Yeah, It really doubles down.
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh, You kids are always so greedy. Must be out of my mind getting mixed up with all you bozos. I'll see you creeps later, and I don't want to find you hawking an extra finger or two at the pawn shop, okay? Now I'm out of here. Yep, tough love. Yeah, so I mean, obviously we've got the Natty B. There are a lot of other bozone moments in this. We have, of course, Jillian... Threatening to get Gar fixed, which golly, I wish she would. We also have Steve Dayton calling Gar a green faced loudmouth squirt, which was pretty good. Mm, zing. Yeah.
2: Gosh, one of my favorites was just a good old fashioned uh, lousy damn fool, which was uh, Nighthawk to uh, the Freshmaker.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, it was a, a bozo-rich environment, a real BRE. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's an industry term. Mm. Which industry?
1: <laughs> ah, that's
2: a Charlie Brown parent talking industry.
0: Yes, yes, it's a growth industry. <laughs> Baker Street? Yeah, we talked about how I uh, am the sexy version of Peanuts.
2: Oh, that's right. I forgot about the <laughs> sexy Charlie
0: Brown topic. What was your favorite panel in this issue? I
2: would say definitively it's the one on page 22 that is Dayton's psyche basically becoming fragmented before he is reassembled
0: that is a very nice panel yeah it is just a bunch of mirror shards and you see reflections of different titans and members of doom patrol as his brain is being metaphorically shattered before it gets reassembled with the members of doom patrol or raven dressing up as them psychically telling him hey buddy go be sane okay it's a real nice panel
2: yeah, the contrast in it is really cool, too, because it's a black background with a rectangle that's, like, blue, mm-hmm. and then on top of that are all the shards, which are, like, orange and yellow, so it's, like, super, super high contrast.
0: It is. I like it a lot. I always like blue and orange together.
2: Yeah, complementary uh, colors, I think. Mm-hmm.
0: And the colors of the Syracuse Orange Men.
2: Um, so what's an orange man?
0: Well, it's the mascot for Syracuse University, which I have never been sure if it was a reference to the followers of William of Orange, who eventually became William III, but if it was, it would make their school rivalry with Notre Dame make a lot more sense. But those colors look nice together. Indeed. And speaking of which, actually, my favorite panel is the orange-skinned Starfire, Smooching it up with the blue costumed Nightwing in the final page, which I call Art Deco Sky Smooch. Mm. It's just a very dynamic panel of Coriander and Dick flying up in the night sky and making out. And it's done over a skyline, but with a weird, like, Art Deco filigree and like star spangled tiara over it. It's really cool looking.
2: It is. It's very fancy. And I like to, in this one, uh, Dick looks like he knows what he's doing. Often when he's being held and flown around, he, he looks a little like floppy and, and scared. Mm-hmm. And this one, he's, he looks very stylish. He's got one arm around Starfire and his other arm is, for some reason, pointing back behind him, like almost as if he distracted her. <laughs> it's like, hey, look over there. And then went in for the kiss.
0: Yeah. It's a really cool looking panel. The art in this is great. It is once again, Eduardo Barreto and Romeo Tangal, which is one of my favorite Titans art teams and one that hasn't been together for the past few issues. And so it's nice to see them. Well, Corey, I have but one final question I must put to you. In the arbitrarily chosen year of our Lord, 1988, and the arbitrarily chosen month of our Lord, October, What was Aqualad probably up to, Corey? Wapoot.
2: Yeah, so have you ever had it happen that you get a song stuck in your head real bad, but you're not a huge fan of the song?
0: Yes, I have, Corey.
2: So that's what Aqualad is experiencing, because on October 17, he went out to the Tower Records and got himself Volume 1 of the Traveling Wilburys, their first studio release, and cannot get the song Handle With Care out of his head. (laughs) Which one is that? Uh, I am not gonna sing it for you, uh-huh. <laughs> but it's real catchy. You can YouTube it later. It, it was it was their like their their single that was playing all over the place. Wait,
0: I thought their single was the end of the line.
2: Oh, maybe this was the B side to that. I remember it being a a thing.
0: Cause it's all right, something, something, something.
2: Yeah, yeah, that you're right. That was the really big one. This this one is. Anyway, so the reason that he got this record is because he is, and I don't know if you know this, a huge Ramones fan.
0: I think I did know that, but uh, how does that connect, Corey?
2: Well, because when he was at the record store, he picked that up and, and this Traveling Wilburys record and is like, hmm, well, they don't really look like punkers, but they all have the same last name. <laughs> There's Nelson Wilbury, who was George Harrison. There's Otis Wilbury, that was Jeff Lynne. There's Charlie T. Wilbury Jr., that was Tom Petty, Lefty Wilbury, Roy Orbison, and Lucky Wilbury, Bob Dylan, and, you know, he's like, oh, these guys are probably just like the Ramones, like a bunch of actual brothers who just play awesome music, and uh, so yeah, he was, he was a little surprised when he got home and gave it a listen, and wasn't what he was expecting, but that's what he was up to.
0: Fair enough. That was one thing that he was up to in October of 1988, but it wasn't the only thing. See, during the course of the late 80s, Aqualad had been growing closer with another super-powered aquatic hero, Dolphin, who is not, as her name would imply, a dolphin, but was a lady who swam around. We covered her in one of the uh, Aquatic Teen Appreciation Day specials. But one of Dolphin's distinctive features was her long, white, flowing hair. And as such, she was part of a small but elite group within the DC universe of young ladies with white hair. And so she and her pal Abby decided to, uh, you know, let's go on a double date. So they called their respective partners, Aqualad and Swamp Thing, and decided that they were going to go see a movie together on a double date. Aqualad (laughs) thought that sounded fine. He'd always gotten along okay with Swamp Thing. But Swamp Thing took him aside and he was like, Um, Aqualad, they want to go see Mystic Pizza. And Aqualad said, yeah, that sounds fine. That's, you know, sounds like a pretty good movie. Okay. And Swamp Thing was like, well, the thing is, young Vincent D'Onofrio, or as we call him now in 1988, Vincent D'Onofrio, is in that movie, and, uh, well, when she sees him, Abby gets a little excitable. Um, I'm not ready to start a family yet. And Aqualad's like, no, you know what? No problem. I know just what to do. So he swam to China before their date and procured a little (laughs) something for his pal Alec Holland, a.k.a. Swamp Thing. You see, he heard a story that came out on October 29 that China had announced an herbal male contraceptive. Now, he misunderstood things. He thought it was a contraceptive that was made for herbal males. <laughs> and he's like, well, that's just Swamp Thing. So he went and picked that up. Uh, and then they went and saw Mystic Pizza together the following day on October 30th. And, uh, you know, really enjoyed it. It's a good movie. And then afterwards, Swamp Thing felt lucky that he had that contraceptive for herbal males uh, Mm. because that young Vincent D'Onofrio is really something. Wow. And that's what Aqualad was probably up to in October of 1988. Corey, thank you so much for joining us. I had a great time talking about this comic that we, I think, had split opinions about, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I certainly enjoyed talking to you about it. Thank you as well. And thank you, listeners, for joining us on this journey. We'll be back next week to cover another Defender story. In the meantime, if you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwastelandgmail.com at or via our post office box that's Tighten Up The Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon 97294. If you'd like to find us on social media, you can probably do that. Unless you're Donald Trump, in which case you can't anymore. (laughs) Ha ha! You'll never eat all those pizzas. We're on, uh, yeah, the the Twitter and the Facebook and the Instagram and all that shit. And you can, you know, poke around, just type our name into the internet and see what it spits out at you. Maybe something nice. Who can say? But if you can't find us there, there's one more place you can look. And that's deep inside your heart. We'll be there. We've always been there. And we always will be there, putting on our motorcycle helmets and having <laughs> bad ideas. If you would like to support the show financially, you can do so by visiting us at patreon.com slash If you do, you can get access to a whole bunch of extra bonus content. There is the monthly podcast, What the Duck? A podcast most foul, but with the W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show which is the show that I co-host with my wife, Lisa, that is just for our donors. There's also a whole bunch of video reviews of classic comics that I put up there, but there's a whole bunch of extra content up there if you donate, so that's one reason you might consider supporting us. But another, and from my vantage point, more important reason is that it lets us know that you appreciate the show and would like us to continue doing it. And frankly makes us able to continue doing it. So if you enjoy the show, consider supporting us. One way that you can support us in a non-financial way would be to leave us a review in a place that a review can be left. Just go to your podcatcher of choice and hack into the mainframe via the web and say enhance. And then Mm -hmm. um, go to the part where it says tighten up the defense and. Star signals all the way to the max and say five stars. This podcast is a better idea than hitting your brother in the head with a bowling pin while he is wearing a motorcycle helmet and a much better idea than hitting your brother in the head while he is not wearing a motorcycle helmet. Five more Ooh. stars. That's 10 stars total. That's a lot of stars. Most we got. So uh, in summation, yay future boo past yeah yay future boo past way to keep things looking forward all right bye guys bye Which was a tough fucking month, man. It really was. I
2: typed in the wrong date, and I uh, was looking at 1888 <laughs> for an embarrassingly long time, and I just remember thinking, like, why do all these guys have such big mustaches?
0: <laughs> One of her distinctive features. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I was trying to ch- turn it off. <laughs>
2: okay you're good okay um,
0: volume is off. but one of dolphins Oof. see he was a notorious pie thief <laughs> <laughs> how can you be a notorious pie thief he had a reputation you just get caught that all is the largely time? unsubstantiated for stealing pies off of his neighbor's windowsills oh what a dick move yeah dude i think henry david thoreau is kind of a dick just like a fucking entitled couch-surfing self-important twerp (laughs) who is a a notorious pie thief it's no good man it isn't although literally every single one of those attributes would accurately describe me in my early 20s (laughs)